Welcome to Crossing the Jordan, everybody. I pray that you are doing great. Today, we begin our series on salvation. In this very first episode, we're going to be talking about the gospel. What is the gospel? Um, and I really want to do it in a way where at the beginning of, the, of this episode, we're going to be really at a simplified level so that it's, it's something easy that we can remember, something easy that we can share, and uh, to really just the, the simplicity of the gospel. Um, but then I want to pull out all of these things so then we can bring it all together in the fullness of the gospel to really try to understand what Jesus has done for us, the radical love of God. Uh, so what is the gospel? So first, just real quick, this isn't a part of sharing the gospel, but what is the gospel? The gospel literally means the good news, good news uh, in Greek. The gospel comes from Greek, which means good news. So what is the gospel though? What is the good news that you're telling me? So a simple way to remember it, to share it, to say it would be would be something like this. God loves you. He created you in, in his image and likeness. He has a plan for your life. Our brokenness in the world that we see, like the sin from, uh, from all humanity and our brokenness when we get hurt and when we hurt other people, that separates us from God. God doesn't want that for us, but that's, and that separated us and that separates us from a relationship with God, but he always has desired a relationship with us. Jesus Christ, God became flesh and died for you to save you, to redeem you, to give you life. And we, he calls us to repent, to turn our mind and to turn our hearts in 180 degrees away from that sin and brokenness towards him and to believe in this gospel, in the good news. And he calls us to be baptized. And when we're baptized, we receive the Holy Spirit to become sons and daughters just like he was, to become everything that Jesus was, to become everything, to have everything that Jesus had and have access to all of heaven and to, to be children of God and to become disciples of Jesus and to become uh, people who come alive in the Holy Spirit and to live in Christ, to live in Christ through his body, which he calls the church, and to go and make disciples of all nations, to have that same mission statement of Jesus, so to become more like him. And so that's a simple way to, to share it is really in seven simple steps is God loves you and has a plan for your life. Sin disrupts God's plan and leads, leads to brokenness and death. Jesus Christ came and, di- came and died and rose from the dead to save you from sin and death. Reorient your life and believe the gospel, the good news of God's saving love. Be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit. Live a new life in Christ through his body, the church, the source of the fullness of grace, and go forth and proclaim the good news of God's saving love. And that is the gospel, is that radical nature expressed in creation that we are even existing, but also by Jesus Christ and him crucified, the very person of Jesus Christ and the expression of him on the cross is the fullness of expressing of God's love for you, the eternal purchasing by the blood of Jesus that purchased you. You have a price, you have a value. God 
values you. He delights in you. He loves you. He wants to transform you. He never wants you to feel like you're alone. He never wants you to feel sadness, depression, or uh, anger, or frustration, or any of this this brokenness in your relationships. He never wants you to be insecure. He wants to restore you, to make you whole. Jesus came to save, and the, the Greek word for save is sozo, which means to save, to redeem, to make whole that you would be a whole person, your spirit would be made whole, your heart would be made whole, your mind, your your body, everything about you, God is fascinated by. God loves and desires and all of his creation he wants to redeem, but especially you, that you carry his heart. You, he is so in love with. Jesus seeks the lost. Jesus wants to redeem. Jesus wants to be make all of us more like him. He came to free you, to liberate you, to to release you when you were captive to sin and to sadness, addictions, destruction. He wants to free you. For freedom, Christ has set you free. It is not something that is just far off in the distance of where you come to do a mental exercise to believe in this man Jesus who died for you and to someday get to heaven and finally experience happiness. No, 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 no. Jesus came to die to give you his spirit so that you in this life can be free now. He freed you from sin and death, but he wants you to become free in the sense that you get to choose to know love now because his spirit has been poured out into your heart so that your mind would be transformed, that our entire lives would be made brand new to taste heaven here and now, that he doesn't want you to live a life of misery. He doesn't want you to live a life of boredom. This is the true freedom and love, the law of love, the law of Jesus. And as for freedom, Christ has set us free. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. He came to give us his entire self. He came and died for you, to give you his spirit. He'd rather die than live without you. That's a that's one actually one that I probably say the most. Jesus would rather die than live without you because he ex- fully expressed that in him being crucified, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Every time we see a crucifix, a cross with the body of Jesus on it, we see the incredible greatness of our sin, but God's love always being greater that defeats sin and death that ultimately sin leads to. It's where our sinfulness, we crucified God. Our sins crucified Jesus. No individual person crucified Jesus, but our own sins. But God's love is greater. And he longs for you to experience that love, to become fully alive in him, to have a brand new life in Jesus. And he never wants you to have fear. And it's so radical that it's an upside down kingdom in Jesus. Because when you want life, he calls you to die. When you want when you want to be exalted, he calls you to be humble. When he wants you to rejoice is exactly when you are suffering persecutions and you have trials because he purifies our hearts in that way and we become even more in tune to him, the crucified one. So then what is the summary of the gospel? It is Jesus Christ and him crucified. His entire ministry, for his three-year ministry, he he was seeking the lost. He was eating with sinners. He was uh, restoring the blind. He was restoring the deaf. He was restoring the crippled. And those were all uh, 
um, those were real events, but they also pointed to our spiritual blindness, our spiritual deafness, our spiritual death. And it is only by God's grace that we can ever come to know him. Jesus loved us so that we in turn would love him, that he calls us to, re- he calls us to a new life. He, recalls a- he calls us on to that repentance and to new life to actively engage our will to change our lives around, but is only with his grace that he offers first. And in his ministry, he tells all these parables of God's love for us, that he seeks that one lost sheep, that one lost coin. He is gathering together the sheep, and he wants to give us new life, and he's always constantly seeking us. But then in John 16, right before he goes to the cross, right before, right uh, in the middle of his passion, he says, I no longer speak to you in parables, Because what was he saying? What I'm telling you isn't even enough. I want to express to you how much I love you. And that's the crucifixion. He goes and is crucified by the Jewish people and the Romans, which are, which at that time was like the whole world, all of our sins coming together that put the Son of God on the cross. And it's there that we see God's love for us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Jesus and his passion goes in our place, fully in our humanity, his whole, his whole incarnation, but his full passion, he goes, it's a sacrifice. And he puts on our nature, he enters into our sinfulness, what sin creates, which is death, and what it, and its destruction and its brokenness. And he is standing before his people and Pontius Pilate and he is condemned and he's this 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 man the son of God was being condemned and found guilty of all the sins that we have committed and he stands in our place for that and he is scourged for the sins of impurity for every single time that we lusted over somebody and then we reached out for something or somebody that wasn't ours to that we, we objectified objectified people and hurt other people in times that we've been objectified and hurt by other people he enters into that fully in his scourging to give us a brand new body to give us an understanding of the beauty of our creation and then he is crowned with thorns for all the times that our mind wandered into things that were not of god every single time our thoughts entered into darkness sadness frustration um hatred, adultery, idolatry, our mind wandering from Christ. And all those times where we were hurt because of other people's minds wandering, Jesus takes that fully on, but he pours out his blood from that uh, crowning of thorns to give us the mind of Christ. And then he goes and carries our cross, the weight of the sin of the world. He felt every single sin that's ever been committed in his passion. And he's carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders and he falls, but he gets up. He falls, but he gets up. Bearing the weight of every single burden that you have ever felt. And he even says, come and my yoke is easy, which means that you're never carrying that cross alone. That he is carrying the cross with you. He is with you during those times. And he carries the cross for every single burden that you've ever felt and every single burden that anybody has ever placed on you. And he says, I'll, I'll go with you. And then is goes to Mount Calvary. And just before they nail him to the cross, they strip Jesus of all of his garments, all of his clothes. 
there is God in the flesh, completely naked. The Romans would strip their criminals before crucifixion, completely naked, to embarrass them, to put them to the shame, to have the most pitiable, the most uh, embarrassing death you could ever imagine. As they would be nailed to the cross, completely naked, people mocking them, people uh, slandering them as they're dying from asphyxiation where they couldn't breathe because fluid would be built up in their lungs. And there is Jesus, God in the flesh, completely naked. He puts on all of our shame. He enters into all of our shame and he takes it and he is lifted up on the cross completely naked. And this is just as Adam and Eve, when they ate from that tree that they weren't supposed to. They reached out for something that they were, that was theirs. They had the lust of the eyes, the lust of material things. They wanted to possess things of themselves. They wanted to become God without God. When they ate it, their eyes were opened and they saw each other naked and they were ashamed. But Jesus is naked, taking on our shame, but he is not ashamed because in his nakedness, he redeems us, he restores us, he puts back in our hearts what we first lost when we reached out for things that weren't ours in our personal sin and for what we inherited through original sin and we just we enter into this broken world that we have this concupiscence that we have to deal with and Jesus takes on all of that and so there is God completely naked so that we never have to come to God afraid to become completely naked to never be ashamed for who we are or to be afraid to show him all of our wounds to be afraid to show him and to give him our entire lives all the way down to the smallest detail. And as they're piercing his feet for the times that we walked astray from the path of God, that we thought we had a better path, he, his feet is crucified to give us his way, which he is the way. His feet is crucified. His feet are pierced with the nails of our sins and as they start to pierce to nail his hands to the cross they can't get his his right arm to the nail spot so they rip it out of place so that that hidden injury that hidden sin that we have committed that nobody else will ever see or that hidden sin that we were hurt by Jesus feels that He enters fully into it. Jesus' hands are pierced for every time that we hurt and hit or hurt somebody with our actions, with our, our, our hands reaching out for things that weren't ours. He takes that and he suffers that. And every single time that you were hurt or you were abused or you were injured by somebody else because of things in their heart, he takes that upon himself and he wants to give you his work, his new way, and then he died, he's on a cross suffering for agonizing pain for all those who have ever been in despair, who's ever been hopeless, who's ever been uh, isolated, wrongly accused, wrongly injured, wrongly um, insulted or, con- or found in contempt. All those people who have found despair, he's, he's there on the cross. He was there with two criminals. Both of them had done something wrong. One of them were, was cruel to Jesus and the other one was repentant and found that in that moment he actually was getting what he deserved which is crucifixion with Jesus 
And that's what makes us righteous is following Jesus to the cross. It is only in Jesus that we could ever uh, be found worthy of anything. Apart from him, we can do nothing. In him, all things are possible. And then his words express so many things to us. His, his last seven words on the cross was, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. We don't know what we're doing. <laughs> and what we're doing is, is hurting people and hurting each other and breaking our relationship with God and with other people. But on the cross, he calls us to, to unity. And he, even in the midst of agonizing pain, all the weight of sin being born in his entire passion and his suffering, he still calls out to forgive us so that we would forgive other people when we are hurting. Even in the midst of hurting, we would forgive other people. And then he calls us to paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise, he says to that one criminal who repents and he suffers with Jesus. He says, today you'll be with me in paradise. And then he looks at our blessed mother and he says, mother, behold your son, talking about us. We become her children because we, in that moment, before he says, behold your son to Mary, he says, mother, behold your son, because we needed a mother more than she needed other sons. But we become all spiritual sons and daughters of Mary who her soul and her heart was pierced. She suffered martyrdom with Jesus at the cross. She was there from the beginning and she suffered more than any other creature ever. And then he calls out to God and he references Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? But he wasn't forsaken. God was always with him and he knew that. And Psalm 22 ends in victory. That's why he calls it out. It's not that God abandoned, the Father abandoned him. No, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are always one together. They're never separated. That's an impossibility. But he calls out on our behalf when we feel completely forsaken. But we're never forsaken because God is, God is always with us. And we call out in that confidence where it's Psalm 22. It's actually a cry of victory. And that's why Jesus calls out Psalm 22. Because in that time when you referenced the very beginning of a psalm, you're actually referencing and, uh, and calling out that entire psalm. And the psalm ends in victory, and it's a messianic psalm. Go ahead and read it. It's pretty crazy. It's Jesus, and he will be vindicated, and he will be um, risen for us. And then he says, I thirst and this is the great Mother Teresa quote, I thirst for you. More than he thirsts physically, he thirsts for our souls. He thirsts for our love. He'll go to, obviously, eternity, just went to the cross and suffered in his humanity and died for us to show how much he thirsts for our love. He needs nothing. We need everything. But yet he goes to the cross as if he needed all of us. And he thirsts for us. And then he says, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. He was fully detached from every earthly possession, every fleshly desire. He was fully given to his Father. And when he says, it is finished, it is consummated, he gives his entire self for the bride, his church, that in his offering to the Father, that we would be swept up in that love to become the children of God with 
that sacrifice of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit to the Father. And he says it is consummated where it's a marriage and it's, he's poured out for his bride, the church. Then that's what happens at every single Mass, that it's Jesus being offered to the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit. And then his heart is, is, is pierced as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. His heart is is pierced for every single time. And it's all those issues that we were just talking about where it was our minds that hurt, it was our hands that, that hurt other people, it was our feet that went the wrong way. It was all these things that caused our sinfulness and our sinful nature and our brokenness in the world. It's a heart problem. And Jesus, his heart is pierced and blood and water flows out in the waters of baptism and the Eucharist to renew us, to refresh us, to give us his heart, where it'd be that internal transformation of of us being transformed into Jesus's image. And that is the radical nature of God's love. His heart fully emptied out because it was our hearts that were hardened and yet his heart was pierced because of our hard heartedness. And it was, he wanted to give us his own heart to pour out his heart within us to become us internally transformed. And that is the gospel. Jesus Christ and him crucified over the cross Pontius Pilate, he wrote, Jesus, King of the Jews, mocking him. People mocked him for saying that he was King of the Jews, but he truly was King of the Jews. And that is the gospel, Jesus Christ and him crucified, and he is King of the world. And that's what the actual gospel meant. The gospel was a royal decree from the King of the world, which at that time everybody believed was Caesar. Caesar thought he was divine. They called him the Son of God. And he was Lord and King of the world. And that's what uh, St. Paul is talking about in Romans 10 when he references Isaiah 52, 7, when he says, Beautiful are the feet of those who preached the good news. It was a royal decree. St. Paul was going into the Roman territory saying, No, Caesar isn't Lord. Caesar isn't King. Jesus is King because he reigns. God reigns. In Isaiah 52, 7, what is the good news that he's preaching? It says at the end of Isaiah 52, 7 is your God reigns. And that's what happens uh, with Jesus. Our God reigns. He is the true King. He is the true Lord. He conquered sin and death. No, it's not you, Caesar. No, it's not anybody else of this world. It is Jesus who is King and he and he is Lord. And the royal decree is this gospel of him reigning over sin and death, and he has conquered the world. And Jesus, he shares his own victory with us. He pours out his Holy Spirit that we would be seated in heavenly places with, with us, that, he, that we would have everything that he has ever had. Jesus is the one Lamb of God. He is the one who suffered for the salvation of the world, whose death gives life. He is the one priest, prophet, and king. He is the one seated at the right hand of God. He is the light of the world. He is the one who intercedes and mediates for, uh, for us. He is the one interceder and one mediator. He is the one temple of God. He is the one son of Mary. He is the one son of God. But in him, we all become lambs of God who suffer for the salvation of the world, who gives life uh, in our death. And we become priest, prophet, and king in him. We are seated in heavenly places that St. Paul says. We are a light of the world. We are the one who intercedes and mediates grace. We are the one. We are. We become temples of the Holy Spirit like Jesus. We are sons and, and daughters of Mary. We become sons and daughters of God. Everything that Jesus has is ours because of his crucifixion. So that just as St. Paul says in Galatians 2.20 is, 
I have been crucified with Christ, for it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. As I walk in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who has given himself up for me. This is a personal love story, but it's not a private love story. This is a personal one that transforms our entire life, that he would become Lord of it all, because when he is Lord over every single part of our entire lives, there is freedom because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is true love. There is authentic love. There is true life that he wants to give you. He doesn't want you to live a false life. He doesn't want you to believe in lives. He wants you to hold all thoughts captive to him. He wants to become center of your life, not to rule over you, but it's the humbleness of God. He became in the flesh. He emptied himself, taking the form of a slave so that he would pour out his divine nature, that we'd participate in his divinity as he shared in our humanity. And that is the gospel, that you are so loved, you are worth fighting and dying for. You are worth seeking out. You are worth it. You are valuable. You have eternal value because of what Jesus has done for you. He loves you with his entire life, his entire being. He came and gave his life for you so that no matter what you're going through, you can turn towards Jesus Christ and him crucified and he is always with you and God could have forgiven you in any way possible but he chose the cross he chose to enter into our suffering not to take away our trials our tribulations our hardships that we have in this world but they would be transformed in them with Jesus that he would take on his suffering so we're never alone that we would be transformed in this life and he takes on and to express the the reality of the incredible weight of sin that we have created and caused in this world, this brokenness, this darkness, we attributed to, and we also inherited. And Jesus came and defeated that. So what is the gospel? Jesus Christ and him crucified. Jesus, King of the Jews. Jesus, King of the world. Jesus, conqueror of sin and death to set us free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. And that is the gospel. But even then, Jesus still gave us more to live in that divine life. And when it says, Jesus, King of the Jews, it's because, as Jesus says, salvation comes from the Jews. And so we have to remember salvation history because it's the, it's God's love story to his people. We have to remember his love story. There's this uh, quote from an Eddie Murphy movie called Mr. Church. It's really good. But at the end of the movie, they find out that after Mr. Church passes away that he really loved books. And one of his quotes is that, Books are meant to be read from beginning to end, but are best understood from end to beginning. And that's what we have as Christians, is that we have the entire story and its end. We ha- we know the end of the story. We know victory in Jesus. And Jesus and him crucified is the punchline to the entire story. But we also have to remember the storyline because, as we said, it's God's love story. It's his story. He is the king of history and it's his story Jesus Christ king of the history king of history and it's his story culminated in him and so uh, when it says king of the Jews it's because he is the king but he came and also instituted a kingdom and we have to remember the old covenants Jesus and what he founded upon Peter and the apostles and his one holy Catholic and apostolic church is part of the gospel because Jesus, he is the king. He instituted a kingdom. Jesus is the head of the church. 
he calls the church his body. Jesus is the bridegroom, the church is his bride. And you can never separate the kingdom from the king. You can never separate the body from the head. You can never separate the bride from the bridegroom because of Jesus' promises. And so therefore you can never separate the Catholic Church from the Catholic Church's king, its head, its bridegroom, Jesus. And so the fullness of what Jesus has done, the fullness of the gospel is only found in what he established, what he instituted, what he divinely willed, what he divinely protects because of his promises, because of his faithfulness, nothing because of what anybody else has done, but because of Jesus, the fullness of the gospel is found in the one holy Catholic and apostolic church because Ephesians 1.23 says that the church is the fullness of Jesus that fills all and is in all. And that the church is the household of God that's built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And that the church is the one who reveals the manifold wisdom of God that it might be made known to the principalities and powers even in the heavenly places. It comes from the church because Jesus established it. And St. Paul says in 1 Timothy 3.15, the pillar and foundation of truth is the church and the entire gospel of matthew is centered around the kingdom and jesus is establishing the kingdom of god and he does it when he says uh the only times that he talks about the church is in matthew 16 and matthew 18 when he gives the power to peter and the apostles and talks about the kingdom of heaven and that institution of their uh, apostolic authority because of jesus so what Jesus has done, what King Jesus has done, has established a kingdom. He has instituted the church and his kingdom. His bride, his body is the church, the fullness of him. And salvation comes from the Jews and he is the king of the Jews. And what he has done on the cross and his crucifixion and his passion for each one of us and for his church in totality and what he instituted in his church are fulfillments of what the five old covenants in the old testament are which is adam and eve he that would signify the <clears throat> the bridegroom and the bride the noah and family noah and the family that would be wiped clean that we'd be a new creation in baptism like first peter three twenty one says that baptism now saves you when he talks about noah and the family being saved from uh from the the flood and then he promises abraham the, the promised land the kingdom and a worldwide blessing that's fulfilled in jesus and the catholic church and he and moses institutes the he leads the 12 tribes of israel out of captivity um from exodus and over and across the red sea and gives them manna to eat and establishes the new covenant and the and the ten commandments and the blood of the covenant and the tabernacle worship and all the sacrifices and king david who was the promised everlasting dynasty and all those were fulfilled in jesus because of god's faithfulness and promise and it's found in the catholic and it's found only in the catholic church that jesus established and the prophets uh, prophesied all of this was after King David the is the unfaithfulness of the people of God but God remained faithful to his covenants 
where the prophets prophesied that the Messiah will come and he will be God's suffering servant. He will, the Messiah will reunite the tribes of Israel. He will restore the Davidic kingdom. And the prophets went to Israel, Judah, Assyrians, and all those who were exiled to uh, reunite the tribes, but it's only in Jesus that it actually happens. God will pour out his spirit to live in us. So it's no longer just uh, the presence of God in the temple or the tabernacle, but it's God's uh, spirit, his presence poured out into our hearts. And he gives us the new covenant, which will be an internal transformation. The new covenant will be found in the Eucharist where he gives his body, blood, soul, and divinity. The only place that he says the covenant in the new testament is at the last supper where he says this is the covenant of my blood when he transforms bread and wine into his body blood soul and divinity where it become the presence it would be the true manna from from heaven it would be the true presence of the true bread of presence that was in the old testament old testament tabernacle and forever it'd be emmanuel god with us and we see that for even from the very beginning of the annunciation when the the power of the the most high overshadows mary and it's overshadowed in the sense that it's it's wedded to god finds that 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 purity and he makes that purity and he makes that his temple and mary would be the prototype the archetype to become a model for all christians that we would carry the presence of god so that is the gospel god's faithfulness god is with you god died for you jesus christ and him crucified and he is represented we are ambassadors of Christ. He is represented as one holy Catholic and apostolic church that he founded, he established, he divinely protects, he divinely leads. He is with you always. He wants to redeem you in your entire life. So what is the gospel? Jesus Christ and him crucified. God loves you. He is with you. He has a plan for your life. Our brokenness and other people's brokenness who hurts us and we hurt other people separates, separated us from each other and from God. Jesus came and died for died for you, to save you, to redeem you, to make you whole. He calls us to repent and to believe in the gospel, to be baptized and to receive the Holy Spirit, to have that power from on high, to walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit that he would give us his own spirit that we would put on the mind of Christ and to walk and to look and to see, to hear more like Jesus, to live in Christ, which is through his body, the church that he established, and for us to always be on mission, that we would bring the kingdom of heaven everywhere we go, that heaven would invade earth because of Christians, the anointed ones, to become more like Jesus, that this world would be transformed because of the presence that we carry because God is with us.